0: Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon.
1: Jason Murphy against the stream. Welcome, those of you
2: here. Thanks for showing up. Those of you there. Thanks for showing up.
1: We discuss and practice Buddhism here. What is Buddhism anyway? The teachings of this guy that lived 2,560 years ago. And some would say the teaching was so relevant and so powerful that it still has a ripple effect
2: even, you know, this far away from that, that time.
1: So when I first heard about it, when I first kind of uh, practiced a little bit of meditation, I was, I was curious. I was like, okay, here's a guy that lived, you know, 500 years before the birth of Christ. And, um, I like, I like the philosophy. I like what is being talked about. I hadn't really practiced much, and a, little, a little bit, and uh, that kind of started me on the path. So not really sure why you're here, um, but I'm glad you're here. Like what brought you here? Maybe it was your friend. Maybe it was your own kind of inquiry. Maybe you read a book. Maybe you... Um, We're born a Buddhist, although that's not as often, that's not as, any, any born Buddhists in the, in the crowd? No. Most of us are converts rebelling against our Catholic and Christian upbringing. I'll show them. (laughs) It just made the most sense to me. That just makes the most sense. So we um we'll do some
2: practice some meditation and uh I'll go from there
1: so let's let's go ahead we'll just we'll just start so finding a posture that's workable that's sustainable where you can kind of feel relaxed
2: and alert we got this new, uh, stand, so we don't have to have cushions piled up on each other. and It's very fancy. I think Jeff from, uh,
1: nor Norcal sent it to us, so appreciate the Donna.
2: Jeff C. Yes, Jeff C. All right.
1: So. Um, Yeah, we're just going to practice what is often called insight meditation practice. Insight meaning um, what arises when we can collect the attention and calm the mind. And uh, it's already there. We just got to get out of our own fucking way most of
2: the time. (laughs) So let's do that. Let's settle in. Maybe taking a
1: few moments and just doing a mindful check in, just checking in, actually give the
2: mind some attention. What's happening here? What's happening in the mind? What's happening in the body? Perhaps reviewing your day, anything left
1: over, thoughts, feelings, sensations
2: that needs to be or wants to be addressed, just giving some attention.
1: And then the invitation is to just let those thoughts and feelings and sensations pass. Let them go, aiming the attention more specifically on the
2: experience of breathing. and the sensations that you can feel in the body related to the breath. And whenever some thought, some idea,
1: some story comes back up into the mind,
2: applying the intervention of not now,
1: whatever it is, thought, story, memory,
2: just not now. and then
1: bringing the attention back, re-engaging with the experience of breathing in the body.
2: Breathing in, know that you're breathing in. Become curious
1: of the experience of the breath, tip of the nose.
2: Perhaps the coolness of the in breath. The warmth of the out breath. The subtle movements of the body. The rise and fall of the stomach. Sometimes it's helpful on the in-breath to just
1: silently whisper the word in or breathing in and on the out-breath,
2: out or breathing out, just as a way to help connect the attention with the experience of breathing. course, whenever the attention wanders off, gets caught or lost in a thought or a story with a sense of friendliness or kindness with the mind. Just saying, not now. Not now. and then aiming the attention back, breathing in, breathing out. Over and over again, this is the instruction. This is the
1: attitude to take with our minds,
2: just not now. again and again, recognizing the quality of the mind, if the attention wanders off, perhaps noting future or past, and then just saying not now. In a gentle and kind way, applying the wise effort of present time experience, breathing in, breathing out. Picking in with your mind, what's happening here? Has there been a shift? (laughs) The body. What's present in the body, the heart, what's present here is turning the attention toward the quality of experience. discerning for yourself in the next few moments, loosening the grip of effort, relaxing, opening, or perhaps tightening a bit, narrowing the focus, applying more effort? What's the wise response?
1: So I was just wanted to kind of open up for questions,
2: reflections, before I get into the topic for tonight. And Please. I'm just curious, can um, like you meditate? Because obviously you've probably been doing it a really long time. A little while.
3: Mm-hmm. And if you can do that, like, how long do you want to do that for? And like, does it get like, does that is it progressive,
2: or
1: is it just kind of like person to person? That's a great question. Thanks for asking it. The question was, um I've been meditating for a while, so uh like, can I clear my mind? You mean like no thoughts? Yeah. Mm-hmm
3: either like
1: focusing on breath or I don't know. yeah yeah or and and if so how long <laughs> um, and does it get easier and like longer over periods of time uh, sustainable right so there's kind of two answers to that the first is that's not the point we're not trying to actually stop thinking because the mind thinks that's what it does just like the tongue salivates you know the the heart pumps blood right that's its function the pancreas secretes insulin that's its function the mind thinks that's its function now that being said um because sometimes what people happens is people come and they're like you know I can't meditate because I can't stop my thoughts like it like it's supposed to be a blank slate in our minds and we have some, it's a, it's, that's a delusion. That's a a misunderstanding. Um, And I think it comes from the Zen folks, to be honest, Uh, because I I remember hearing stuff like that when I was in the Zen practice. I don't mean to call them out, but if there's this like, kind
2: of it's supposed to be blank. No mind. No mind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But so, so that's one, one answer. The other answer is
1: yes, that's possible. And it takes a long time, um, or it takes the right conditions. So what I'll say to you is that there is a group of teachings called the jhanas. And the jhanas are basically deep states of concentration. And it's called one pointed attention. And so my best way to kind of, uh, the way that I like envisioned it in my mind while it was happening is like, think of a fire hose, uh, pointed at the concrete. Okay. And then the pressure pushes everything away except for the concrete itself. Right. I don't know why, but that's the way I think about it. And, um, In some ways, concentration practice. So breath practice is a concentration practice. Um, Doing something like in, out, like I was kind of giving the instruction tonight uh, is a concentration practice. And applying effort over time allows there to be uh, a settling. So one of the ways that it's kind of thought about is, there's this uh, teaching known as the still forest pool. And, um, you know, if you think about a pond, where there's no wind, there's no animals, it's just nature. And it just is still. There's no stirring that's happening. Now, a wind gust might come, but it will return back to stillness. Or uh, an animal might come, and drink from the pool, and but it will return back to its original state of stillness. The rain might come, you know, so on and so forth, right? A tree might fall, right? But eventually, it will return to its original stillness and that the mind
2: is the same way. It's possible for that to happen. Um, But it's
1: temporary the 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 uh kind of removal like the fire hose analogy if i th- you know when i've thought about like times that i've done longer practice um like like 2 months at, at a silent monastery meditation eating once a day you know doing nothing but meditating walk not reading books not watching tv not playing on my cell phone not anything besides sitting walking concentrating the mind um and eating a little bit and sleeping a little bit right so that's kind of what i mean like that's the longest i've done is two months some people do that for six months some people do that for a year some people you know live in that state for regular you know regular periods of time years um, so during that time, what, what I've been able to kind of uh, experience, and others have explained it to me in, a, in, a, in a, another way, um, like from their perspective, that there is a deepening of that sense of calm and stillness. And it's kind of like instead of the freeway of thoughts, there's like one old truck on a country road every once in a while. You know, and it's actually not even that disturbing. It's like, oh, there's a truck, you know, that that's actually kind of the way that I look, kind of can experience or kind of kind of talk about that.
2: Um, so yeah. Did you start with, uh, like, to, in order
3: to kind of focus in more, did you start with the fire hose analogy? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm hmm. mm -hmm.
1: Well, the pond, um, another great question. So was it the fire hose or was it the pond, right? Um, The, the pond is in the beginning, uh, you know, as we're entering into practice, this is, you know, kind of some of the ways I like to think about it. Super busy, you know what I mean? There's like frogs and there's, you know, wind and there's, you know, all kinds. And the sediment of the pond itself is muddy and murky and hard to see. Right. And that's the kind of starting point, you know. And um, so eventually over time of doing the one practice, you know, concentrating uh, the concentrate in the practice over and over and over again. Breathing in, know that I'm breathing in. Breathing out, know that I'm breathing out. Off the mind goes, oh, not now. And then bring the attention back. Breathing in, know that I'm breathing in. Breathing out, know that I'm breathing out over periods of time. And that could be like an hour. That could be 45 minutes. That can be Six months that can be 10 years who I mean it's different for different people to to answer that other part of your question. Um, Because we all come to we have we all have you know the bare minimum requirements right, I mean if we don't suffer from something like schizophrenia or some severe and persistent mental illness or you know developmental kind of uh, issues. Um, like childhood, birth defects, stuff like that, You know, we all have the kind of same similar kind of brain, mind. Uh, it's possible to come to that stillness, that place. And the causes and conditions for each of us is slightly different depending on what we're dealing with when we enter in, you know, how old we are, you know, what's, what's, what, how, what's happened. How kind of what I I was talking about, maybe was that last week about the wounds of the mind, how much, and also what my topic tonight is, is around kind of right or wise effort and what's called Hari and Opata. Hari and Opata are called the great guardians of the world. And that is guilt and remorse, which we generally think guilt and remorse are not actually very fucking helpful. They're kind of. They can be kind of disturbing, and that's true. But from the uh, Buddhist perspective, they're known as the great guardians of the world because they they cause us to pause and reflect. So that's different than the concentrated jhana states that you're talking about. So there's two things happening here. One is first we're trying to collect the attention and calm the mind. Right. And that can happen to varying degrees. And, you know, we're talking if you want to, you know, go go on a meditation retreat and see what happens, you know, like actually commit. Um, And if not, that's fine, too. Right. That's fine, too. But it is pretty like but for what you're asking for, it takes uh, effort. And this all takes effort. You know, just getting up in the morning sometimes takes effort, you know. I mean, actually, literally it does. We have to do, we have to have a, uh, an intention and then some action, uh, some motivation,
2: some movement. It takes effort. And it takes effort to continue this practice.
1: And wise effort is kind of the next level of the teaching, Right? which I'll get to in a second. So hopefully that was helpful. It's a both and. Oh, the other part of that that I wanted to say. So there's the concentration, there's the fire hose, right? Um, And then there is the mindfulness. And mindfulness, what I I like to think about everyday mindfulness, you know, being aware of what's happening as it's happening within me and around me. This we also zone out around. Every chance we get most of the time. And how can we not? We're you know, constantly inundated, you know, it's even happened to me, I used to be a Luddite, I don't know if you know what a a Luddite is, but a Luddite avoids technology, you know, like rotary phone, you know, or maybe even not even that, you know, and I used to uh, consider myself like a Neo Luddite. Now I'm super addicted to this thing, right? Because at one point, I think it was around the iPhone 3, I avoided it until about the, I had like a flip razor phone until about the iPhone 3. And then I like think someone gave me one for a, a present and I was, that was it. You know, and they, they've evolved. And I think more and more is coming out now about how, you know, that big tech is totally trying
2: to brainwash us and capture us all the time. That's their job. That's what they've been, that's what they've been doing. Just like the ad advertisements did in the fifties, you know? Find a way to tap into your reward system, which, you know,
1: this is what likes are and hearts are and, you know, comments are and, you know, and then keep giving it to you. This is also what happens in Las Vegas when you're, you know, you're hitting, a. Uh, whatever those things are called, not a roulette wheel, but that does the same thing, a slot machine, right? We do the slot machine, right? And that gives you a little bit, you get 25 tokens, do it again, 10 tokens, do it again, right? The rewards that we get um, from all of the inundation of distraction uh, keep us going. Well, I'll meditate later. I mean, I think if, I think really, I was thinking about this earlier, like, you know, the kind of meditation that we teach here is absolutely fucking liberating. I have no doubt. But it doesn't always feel good. That's why this room is not full. Right? Maybe we should switch to sound healing practice and, you know, uh, have some kirtan or some different, you know, types of bells and whistles, you know. I think it might, maybe more people would show up.
2: Maybe we just have bad marketers. (laughs) But I mean, I feel like that's, you know, that's actually been a thing
1: uh, with Buddhism in the States, Buddhism in the West, uh, and particularly this path, um, the Theravadan tradition, is that we're not saying feel good. And uh, was it Inna? Me and Ina were talking uh, before the class. You know, who ever told us that we're supposed to feel good all the time? Where did we get that delusion from? Where were we sold that bill of goods? Well, usually it came in in an ad
2: or a commercial or a grandparent. But this practice really points to really seeing through
1: that delusion and finding contentment in what is, not just stopping our thoughts or getting rid of our thoughts. There, that might happen. There might be some settling, some peace, some ease, some joy, some uh, what's called pity, some tranquility, serenity may arrive but it's really just a passing experience. The contentment that Buddhism offers is about accepting things as they are and not being shaken by them. And giving up some kind of delusion that we're supposed to be happy all the time that the next pleasurable experience will be the one that's going to last because has it ever? ever in your life.
3: life,
1: Say it again. If you're always happy in your life, what? If
3: you're always happy in your life, it's also the thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. As, As a matter of fact, and this is kind of where the Hari and Opata come from, so this idea of the great guardians of the world help us to see And then last week I talked about the precepts, right? So living in a way that is, uh, you know, ethical, that has integrity, is going to help to subdue or
2: reduce the amount of uh, mental anguish that we experience, right? And then uh, one of the aspects that comes up in our own um,
1: practice is – Often, and this is what I talked about, uh, maybe it was last week, a few weeks ago, regret and remorse, guilt. So guilt is useful only in the fact that it wakes you up. Oh, I feel really guilty. Okay, what did I do that made me feel guilty? And what can I do to either not do that again or to clean up what I need to, you know, to correct
2: my situation, to not have that happen again. This is the only useful aspect of guilt. To hold on to guilt for a decade is ridiculous.
1: From the Buddhist perspective, from also from my perspective. And just causes suffering after suffering after suffering. Now it's important to be able to otherwise what? We're sociopaths, right? It's important to be able to feel the feel the guilt when we do something, or feel the the regret or the remorse. You know.
2: Um,
1: so that's you that's the useful end to it. And then applying effort and applying the The ethical integrity, applying mindfulness, applying concentration to uh, what's happening here, which is a little bit I was pointing to during the meditation. Like in the beginning, I said, you know, like, look, look at the quality of your mind, like what's happening there. Do a little mental check
2: in. And then I did that towards the end too. what you know, what what can you notice about that? And
1: hopefully there was a shift, maybe not. Maybe it got, maybe the shift was that it got worse or the shift was that it
2: got uh, better, I don't know. But so, uh, yeah, anyway, that's some thoughts about Hari
1: and <laughs> Um I think I was opening for questions but I think I just went right into a Dharma talk. So <laughs> if do you, have any, do you have any thoughts or reflections, questions in the
2: uh, in the Zoom or in the room, Please:
3: um, Like um, from my experience and mm-hmm. doing meditation, I didn't grow up thinking the world owed me happiness just because of trauma or whatever. Uh-huh.
2: Uh-huh. So I
3: had that you know, I had that wiring in my brain that for for just really clinging on to suffering, I remember being four or five thinking, just thinking about suffering. Mm. and um, so for me, it's almost the opposite about like meditating is an opportunity to be friendly with mm-hmm. my mind. Mm-hmm. You know? And mm-hmm. and it's called joy or happiness. Yeah. Being in being meditative. So mm-hmm. It's not like a you know, It's really helped me that way amazingly. Mm-hmm. And it helps with um, physical pain and mm-hmm. everything else mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So uh, it's good. Yeah. Think, like it's I
1: like that. Mm -hmm. No, it's a great point and it's the opposite extreme, right? So instead of this like the world owes me or I deserve to be happy and then when I'm met with reality – it's actually the opposite of like, I deserve suffering, or I only know suffering in my life that might have a very similar experience. And actually was a little bit addicted to suffering. I just was so used to it. It's like you get if you wake up every day, and you get punched in the face, eventually it doesn't bother you that you're getting punched in the face, you know. And so when you start to see, oh, there's another way, and I don't have to you know, it's the same thing with like the guilt and the remorse or the regret holding on to. I don't have to hold on to this um, limiting mindset. And I agree with you. I think that meditation, uh, once the pond settled, I was able to go, oh, wow, they're actually, you can experience joy. You can experience kindness towards yourself, compassion. You don't have to constantly beat yourself up. You don't have to constantly be fighting the world or be expecting the world to fight you back, right. you know, and that, um, that was definitely so I think it's a great point. And, um, and also one of the aspects that it may it take and it may take some time. Yeah. Because where what we're trying to do here is unravel our misconceptions, whether they're the extreme of like, I, life is only suffering, right, which is often a mistranslation of the Buddha's teaching, actually. Um, life is suffering all life is suffering that's not a reality there is suffering in this world and there is freedom from suffering in this world and that can be and that and it all happens in our minds and
2: hearts you know same so rachel you want to
4: hi yeah i i didn't catch all of um I don't know. I don't know their name. Whoever was just talking. You're talking.
1: Um, it's Tracy, right? Yeah.
4: Yeah. Tracy, Tracy. I, well, I wanted to say i I experienced the same thing. I, I have a significant trauma history as well as um, just biological mental health um, things. And I actually talked with Noah about this in his Dharma talk and, um, it was at the beginning of the month, his refuge recovery Dharma talk. Um, Mm -hmm. And because I talked about how I have almost this attachment to suffering where we talk constantly about, you know, attachment and clinging being sources of suffering. Um, But usually it's good things that you feel this attachment towards, you know, Um, or I think at least in like when most people are thinking about it, that's what we think about. Um, And he talked about, practicing appreciative joy. So the um, um mudita, I guess. Yeah. And kind of cultivating that practice. Um and I also I wanted to tell Tracy too, he said that we would be talking about that in the next um like the first Thursday of next month. So she should check that out if um if that's something that she also has. Okay. So
1: appreciative joy, uh, mudita. it is a great uh practice to begin to reorient yourself to the goodness that is in the world and around us and it's tempered with compassion also right compassion for the suffering that we have experienced or that others experience
2: Hmm. that's a good point thanks for bringing it up And um, just like I kind of said earlier, you
1: know, uh, both things are true, concentration, not, not having, you know, not uh, – really not overemphasizing our thinking and allowing the process to kind of settle so we're not so busy. Um, and what arises is compassion and joy. These are, these are the kind of like um, what the still forest pool reflects when we can actually get to that place. Or when we really see Hari and Opata, you know, remorse and regret and guilt um, as the tools that they are, instead of the burden that we're, you know, holding on to or the suffering that we're kind of causing ourselves. So, um, yeah, it's all related, you know, the juxtaposition and the, um, is that it? Ta- you know, it takes effort, but sometimes I don't know. Like you know, there, there's this whole thing about effort, and this is why the you know the factor that we're talking about today, or uh, the fold, is wise effort. So wise effort means you know enough that we're going to see some results, and we're going to experience some of the you know positive aspects or the benefits of meditation. But not so, so much effort that it's another thing we're beating ourselves up about, you know. And I definitely had that, you know, I had this like Dharma soldier when I – there was a point, you know, like I was saying, like I went on like two-month silent meditation retreats or it was like boot camp, you know. Or I went on the this Goenka retreat, which is like a 10-day silent meditation retreat where you sit for an hour and there's, you know, you sit for an hour uh, at a time and then there's – you know just there's not a lot of frills you know it's just very bare bones right um you know monetary you know monastery uh, monasteries in asia where i slept on you know concrete or hardwood floors or you know there's one place and they had, they had a wooden pillow it was like a like literally <laughs> a block of wood with a little thing to i put my neck in and you know, and i i just i had this like ardent like this is the way it's you know i it's this isn't life is suffering, you know, and I have to like sit through all the pain and um and it was helpful, and there was too much effort there was too much efforting happening and uh and and i was it was like I was missing the you know the point, and um this is where mudita comes into play, this is where. You know, appreciative joy and loving kindness and compassion and mindfulness, you know, to see it. Um, And that's why it's one of the folds, but not the only fold. Just like concentration isn't the only thing. And there's some schools of meditation that think getting to that no mind place is the goal. And the Buddha himself, at least as it's translated, said, that's not the goal. Said, I've been there, you know, he said, I've been there. And, you know, it was really awesome, blissful, tra- you know, translucent. I felt like, I, you know, he, he you know, he didn't say this, but it, this is my translation. I felt like I was on ecstasy, you know, and then I came out of it and my attitude and my relationship to the world was the same, right? It's like you go on an ayahuasca journey. I'm not saying you should go on an ayahuasca journey, and I don't really think it's very healing is actually my opinion. I think that people go and they have the experience, and then, and then when they you know, come back, they still have all of the suffering. You know, and and now there might be some, oh, turning toward it, seeing it. It's not, you know, just like within meditation, you go on a meditation retreat. And it's not going to be joy, joy all the time. Now, there's a trajectory where there might be some things that get revealed. And we can heal from them. And that's what part of what uh, Hari Anopata is. And that's, you know, this kind of uh, guilt or remorse as tools, as great guardians of the world. It's a recognition that we don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to live in a way that is causing harm to ourselves or others. And this is you know tied into karma too, which is part of wise view. The karmic momentum of past actions that led to guilt and remorse in the first place. If we don't address it and let it go, then that karma just follows us. You know?
2: like the cart gets pulled by the ox. So uh, effort,
1: wise effort, you know, finding, I mean, I really urge you to like sit 10 minutes a day, sit 20 minutes a day come to three groups a week, you know, commit to, I don't even care what it is, commit to
2: some type of practice, inquiry practice that is about checking in. Someone asked me recently, um, someone asked me, you know, all this meditation, like, you
1: know, stuff that you do all the time. Is that the only way? Like is Buddhism the only way? No. But it's the one that makes the most sense to me. You know, there are some other practices. There are some other aspects of Buddhism, you know, that, that incorporate
2: more, you know, different kind of um, focuses. But I think it's useful to, to actually just delve in to the
1: one path. The one that fits the best for you. And if, you, I mean, if you're here and you're checking this out, great. And that doesn't mean don't do yoga and don't you know, go to a Qigong class or go to a concert or go to a, some friggin' sound healing thing. Like, that's fine. But are those just feel-good stuff or is it actually a path to liberation? What is the actual path to liberation
2: for you? For me, it's Buddhism. It's the teachings found by the Buddha. And I didn't come to that lightly, actually. You know, non-theistic, misunderstood,
1: like, you know, resentful at any kind of organized religion,
2: Uh, doubtful of anyone sitting in the front of a room with a friggin' bell, you know. Um, But this practice uh, through applied effort and patience
1: and kindness just kept and keeps revealing layers of my heart that I didn't even think existed. That's the truth. You know, I, um, I mean, I, I'm, anyway, when I was young, there was a lot of calcification, you know, because I thought that's what I needed to survive. Cause I learned
2: that when I was young, you know, I learned that because it was painful and I had to survive.
1: And the practice, not only the mind, but also the heart, same thing. The emotional pain, the uh, mental anguish over time of kindness and patience and practice and
2: seeing the difficulty and loving that part also, you know, this has gotten easier. I mean, I don't know if you're like me, but, you know, remembering the memories
1: of actions of like the top 10 or 20 worst things that I've ever done. You know, these are the types of things that come up in people's minds when they go sit on meditation retreats. That's not a really good sales pitch for going on the next meditation (laughs) retreat. But that's actually there, whether you're giving it attention or not. That's the whole point. And that's the sediment that hasn't settled. In the pond, you know, or the windstorm or the, you know, the alligator that moves into the pond to eat the fish or whatever. (laughs) I'm laughing at myself because I'm trying to come up with different like examples of using the pond. (laughs) (laughs) So the precepts, the precepts are helpful. I also, I think it's important for us to recognize that we're not to blame. But we are responsible. The mind and our conditions and what's happening, even the distraction, we're not to blame. It's not your fault. You know, Noah says this all the time. I love it. He says it's not your fault. I, I like to say you're not to blame. You don't need to blame yourself. Yet, we are responsible. Able to respond, responsible, able to respond, response, able. And that's what we can do now. That's what we can do in the moment when those, you know, top 10 worst things come. Having some kindness and compassion, developing forgiveness for ourselves. It's all here. It's
2: all here. Wise friends. So one of the other aspects of, uh,
1: Guilt and judgment or guilt and regret is
2: judging, judgment, judgment and, versus discernment. Um, this is, I've noticed this through my own practice. And I'm, I'm not
1: perfect, but I judge a lot less than I used to. And one of the reasons why is because I stopped the self-judgment, the
2: constant ridicule, for the most part. But, you know, Haryanopata, right, guilt and, re- and regret
1: or remorse, it's still there when I act in a way that's out, out of my integrity, as it should be. That's the great guardian of the world that goes, oh, yeah, oops, and take responsible, not to blame. It's part of the mind. And the judgment, the layers and layers. You know, um a part of the way to work with judgment is the same way that I kind of like I gave the not now practice. The intervention is to recognize the judging mind when you're in the middle of a judgment. Self judgment, judgment to others, and do nothing else. Just recognize, oh judging. Oh judging. And try not to be like, you're kind of judgy, you know? Because the last thing we need to do is judge the judging mind, right? Because that's the, you know, that's the suffering. That's the crazy making. Oh, see, I'll never get this. So it's just noting.
2: Oh, judging. Oh, judgment. Same thing with anger. Anger. Trying to think what else it's the, and just like noticing the um, the
1: tendency of the mind. Oh, there's a lot of judgment in the mind today. You know, oh, this person or that person. We kind of can't help it. And, uh, you know, if it goes back to, that's why we're like, we're not to blame. It goes back to when we, I talked about uh, the temperaments a few weeks ago. The greed, hatred, and delusion, you know. We're a greedy type. We're going to judge others for what they might have. It might be more envy, more jealousy. Right? So that's where that uh, appreciation or selfless joy comes into play. So there's a lot of like components here. And it, it boils down to continually being aware of what's happening within us and around us and, you know, try not to be an asshole. Oh, and, and, and try, try not to be an asshole to ourselves. Which is, that's what so much, almost any person that I've ever worked with, and I've, you know, I've been working with people in a therapeutic relationship for about 25 years. So I've worked with a lot of people in a lot of different phases of their life. And the um, the judgment, like the most judgmental people that were externally judgmental had the most self or the most self-critical and it was uh, and it's, and it can be so hard. And so part of it is um, just to, you know, what, what I think is being talked about here is applying the mindfulness to the quality of the mind. Oh, and then to do so in a, in a very non punitive way, actually kind of make a little bit of a joke. It's so fun. It's like, Oh yeah. Oh that that voice. Um, oh the judging mind. Yeah. And in, in Buddhism, you know, there there's this the personification of all of these kind of qualities that the uh the Buddha called Mara, which is basically our kind of negative psychological kind of aspects, you know. Sometimes they call him the Lord of Death or the Uh, like the king of
2: delusion, you know, keep us stuck. And our job is to vanquish Mara.
1: So once the initial denial was broken and, you know, the Buddha saw these qualities of his mind, because the Buddha did the same exact thing that we're talking about, the Buddha to be. And wise effort was to keep going with a sense of friendliness and kindness for our mind. So that's why you'll hear me say that like every meditation. Um, Because I used to have no kindness and, you know, no friendliness to my mind. I just judged it for being bad. And then I judged everyone else and the world. And because, you know, the world is unsafe. And my mind is unsafe. You know, do you ever hear that, that uh, kind of statement? Um, uh, my mind is like living in
0: a bad neighborhood,
2: you know? Yeah. yeah. So this helps us to, you know, clean up the streets a little bit.
0: I'll just add that, Please, which is like, I my mind buy
3: my unsafe table to go to, you don't want to go to it alone,
2: so that's
3: what right. like having the Sangha is. Yes, and like you can bring it to, and then you know, you bring it to the group,
2: and just like absolutely, yeah,
1: mm-hmm. absolutely. That's I, I was thinking that too. I wasn't, I just was like, hmm, I wonder if that's that fits. <laughs> But yeah, we don't want to travel alone. I mean, that's why we need teachers and you know
2: groups and community support. Phoenix.
5: Thank you, Jason. Yeah. Um I so I had to let you know that I went on the retreat because you were the one that inspired me to go. I forgot what you said, but somebody was asking about like what happens on retreat. (laughs) And, uh, your response just got me when you were just like, uh, something along the lines of like, come see. Hmm. (laughs) Um, and that got me. And I was like, well, shit, I want to know. And, I I guess I'll I'll just come see. So I did that and it was fantastic and I wanted to thank you for that. Um but I also do have a question. Okay. Um I yeah, so I uh got into a an argument with my neighbor. Uh we kind of oh, just sorry. Huh?
1: Car situation?
5: Yeah. Okay, yeah. I uh, remember. Yes. Um when I got back from the retreat uh he immediately like hit my bumper with his car and blocked my car in to the driveway um and yeah it it just like escalated into this whole thing and i I had to get like non emergency dispatch to get him to move his car and and whatnot but I realized afterwards that uh like I knew that he was gonna get pissed off when i parked there after the first time the first time whatever his fault the second time i parked there knowing that it was going to piss him off mm-hmm. to teach him a lesson and that was on me like i was being antagonistic was mm-hmm.
2: some, uh, some ill intent yeah
5: right um and with the the conversation that i had with him afterwards like i was being you know snarky and i, I wasn't actually trying to reconcile anything um so I, i realized all this afterwards and i decided today that i would uh like try and apologize for my side of things um you know leave him to do whatever with his side but like do my part of it um and it's very even talking about it like makes me shaky so i know that i have like that i want to do it um and i was wondering if there's like advice that you have on you know making my body like calm the fuck down when i'm doing it especially if he says anything like you know inflammatory
1: i'm not the best at that just so you know (laughs) (laughs) i mean actually dealing with a moment of crisis um, and what I would say is to be aware of your body and to, you know, see if you can actually maybe sit for a few minutes before the conversation, um, you know, try to be aware of your belly and, you know, take breaths. Um, try when If there's some antagonistic kind of um, gestures or words to just to be non-reactive, you know to be, just to not let it affect you and or to not show him that it's affecting you. And then to come and to, to keep breathing and to, to see. So, I mean, you know, this is, yeah, this is a continued conflict. You know, I have a, I have a neighbor and they, I just bought a place. And um, first time I ever bought a place. And I have a neighbor and my neighbor smokes Swisher Sweets um, <laughs> at night. And if I open my windows or my sliding glass door, the the smoke just billows into my living room.
5: Right. Yeah.
1: So I have a similar kind of, and I've like had a few conversations, and it doesn't stop, and you know, so um I mean, I'm you know, I'm not. It's it's been escalating, but I've been trying to be mindful and wise about it, and I just say try to be mindful and wise about it, um, and to. To also, um, you know, that do no harm but take no shit, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. Also,
1: stand, stand up for what you need to stand up for. Yeah, we're not uh, we're not into passivity here, we're into engagement.
5: True. True.
1: That's my thought. I don't know.
5: I, I like that, and I like the idea of of meditating beforehand to kind of get you like get me in that zone. Um. Yeah. And I, I think, yeah, just cleaning up my side of the street. But like you said, also saying, like, you know, I still feel very disrespected by this. Like, regardless of your intentions, just so you know, like, that's the result of your actions is that I feel disrespected. Mm-hmm. So.
1: I mean, see how that works. I don't
5: know. <laughs> I'll figure it out. It uh, sounds a
1: little like it could be a little volatile. Yeah
5: true but thank you very much
2: yeah man. yeah
1: all right we have time for uh, one anyone in the room okay Rachel
2: last comment question
4: sorry I am a repeat offender tonight
2: yeah,
4: um I was just thinking about something you said early on oh and also really quickly Phoenix I when I'm dealing with people like that I try to tell them, only what i think they need to hear
2: hmm.
4: and not necessarily what i everything that i feel that's and then true. meditate afterwards about feeling disrespected because he probably knows that you feel disrespected cuz that was his intent but anyways <laughs> um that's just my 2 cents um but you talked about like where we where do we get this delusion that everybody is meant to be happier that we're meant to be happy as a baseline. Um, and I had a kind of a similar revelation a long time ago when I, uh, I was in rehab. Um, I, I've suffered with depression for almost my whole life. And I think that I always thought that the opposite of like feeling depressed was feeling happy. And then as I started to heal, I realized that the opposite of depression is really contentment. Um, which is this idea of like acceptance. And I learned, I read a lot about like radical acceptance, that kind of concept. And that was really helpful to me. Um, and I did really well for a long time when I was coming to these classes regularly. Um, I feel like every time I come, it's, it's like the topics are always relevant to my life. And I don't know if that's because like some synchronicity in the universe, or if it's simply because like all of the topics that we talk about are so relevant to like living. (laughs) Um, But I was talking to my therapist like last week about how it gets exhausting. It feels like I get frustrated with the fact that it feels like I have to put so much effort into my contentment because I you know, I was coming to these meetings for months, like very religiously. I was meditating religiously. I was doing yoga. I was like making time for my self-care practices. And then I kind of slowly fell out of it for maybe a month and a half. Um, and I ended up actually getting to the point where I had a slip and I used. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I came back, it was like, I had this moment of like resentment toward all the happy people that like don't have to do all of these things to like be okay um and I think like you know everybody has to put in some sort of effort and maybe some people have to put in more on that, I guess um but I just I wanted I guess I wanted to say like for the group that I think what the biggest thing is, is having this like sangha, like this, this group of people that is putting an effort to f- reach some sort of contentment. And it makes me feel like not alone. And I think that that was like really what makes the difference. So thank you. That was a long-winded way of saying thank you to everybody.
1: <laughs> We're glad you're uh, back around and here and continuing and um, to just kind of wrap things up, yeah, all, you know, wise effort, committing to um, sustained practice. Um, follow, following the precepts to you know, trying to wake up, you know, and to not have meditation be another thing that we beat ourselves up about. And put in the effort that you can when you can, but commit. Thank you for your time and attention. Those of you in the room and um, on the Zoom, just know that we uh, are sustained by the donation of those who attend. And I'm pretty sure um, Mike put in the... uh, The links there. And then there's the bowl here and the Venmo. uh, If you want talk a little bit more about that. So we're just going to take in all the goodness of our practice, taking in the effort, the attention, the showing up. You know, this is Creating a positive intention in the world, as well as our own hearts and minds. So taking in the good with our own effort. And then dedicating uh, this goodness to the freedom from suffering. May all beings be free.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.